We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell, and this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device has a price. Today, we're going to do Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. If you would like to get to know us a little bit better, we recorded a very quick Episode 0, where we tell a little bit about ourselves, our history with Once Upon a Time, and a little bit of history about the pre-production of Once Upon a Time. We're going to start out uh, with Pilot. The show debuted on Sunday, October 23rd, 2011. Pilot was written by creators Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis, and Pilot was directed by Mark Mylod. Mark Mylod only directed the pilot. His other credits include six episodes of Game of Thrones, 12 episodes of the U.S. version of Shameless, and 23 episodes of Entourage. So we don't have the signature title cards yet, sadly, so unfortunately we can't talk about them. Our first scene begins in the Enchanted Forest. Prince Charming rides a horse along a road and into the forest. As it begins to snow, he meets with seven dwarves. They tell him that it's too late, and he runs to the sleeping woman that they place in a beautiful glass casket. He tells them to open it, but the dwarves tell him that she's already gone. When the prince asks for a chance to say goodbye to his love, Snow White, they open the casket and he kisses her. A wave of energy sweeps outward and the snow in winter disappears into spring as the woman awakens. Snow opens her eyes, touches his face and says, you found me. And then the prince promises that he will always find her. I don't care what context this is, charming, prince charming in any capacity, kissing a corpse is always gonna creep me out. <laughs> I do it's just a little necro fetish i mean yeah um, but this scene like introduces the line that consistently gets me through the entire show i know no I, no no the waking of it is actually beautiful the it is beautiful i will be a sap through the whole damn show for the you found me i will always find you i don't I care. know it really gets me too it really it's, gets me too that will die on the hill and they're like little love theme oh man so pretty yeah their theme is one of the most beautiful pieces of music that's ever been in a television yeah, show it's it's honestly super romantic i think it really sets the scene uh, it's a really nice piece of music yes and like no i i do get what you're saying chell but i've been so conditioned to love snow white my whole life <laughs> that nope. like my brain doesn't even like process anymore maybe that's weird to be like she's super dead my dude i want to kiss her anyway that's natural let him do it like my brain doesn't even comprehend that yeah anymore. my thought is like i think it's just like a goodbye kiss like in some adaptations it's bothered me and this one it it, it doesn't like it's like a goodbye kiss and i mean and it's a fantasy world so we don't have the like the whole you know dude you can totally get diseases that way thing going because <laughs> definite suspension of disbelief i don't think you need yeah, to i don't think i don't think penicillin exists in the enchanted forest no i don't think they need it yeah, they got magic yeah. for that. <laughs> they got magic for that, which is great because I'm really allergic to it. So one of the things that I really love about it um, is actually the glass coffin. Oh, um, it's beautiful. It's, it's so, so pretty. And like it's like the vines with it, and then um, just the location shot, like this outdoor shot, is absolutely beautiful. I think it's like set up really well, and it all just visually is honestly extremely pleasing. Um, this very. Yeah that they yeah. shot this i think as their first like opening opening shot and everything and how very meticulous everything was set and designed i think was just like a very surefire yeah win, they win for them for the network 
Yeah. yeah, they knew they knew how to make an opening scene that was gonna make people be like, "Oh, hey, I need to watch this because it grabs you. It's beautiful." The scene jumps to Snow White and the prince marrying in front of the whole kingdom as everyone applauds, and then the doors bust open and the evil queen comes in and casts aside the guards who try to stop her. Snow White grabs Prince Charming's sword, saying that Regina is no longer the queen, and Prince Charming says that she's already lost and that he won't let her ruin their marriage. The queen says that she has a gift for them, which is peace on this day. But she makes a vow that everything that everyone assembled there loves will be taken from them, and her victory will arise from their suffering. She promises to destroy their happiness if it's the last thing she does, and starts to walk away. Prince Charming throws his sword at her, but she dissolves it into a cloud of black smoke and she disappears. So the speed edit of Regina marching down the aisle looks- Oh my God. So terrible. Like oh so my God. bad. Even by 2011 standards, I'm like, ooh, yes. how about we don't? <laughs> did you notice that her feet literally don't even touch the floor in that part? Yes, like, I did. They don't make the feet match the floor like she just kind of it's like she's on a treadmill and she kind of just goes whoo into the room and it's like yeah it reminds me of those um people movers that are in like um big yeah, like airports. Airports. Yeah. Yeah, the airports. airports exactly that's exactly what it is she just I was like, like she's running to her flight <laughs> yeah she's, she's got to make her connector in dallas and we all know how hard that is oh god actually yeah. i do uh, which is yeah, yeah. <laughs> I picture the worst airport. It's ever. so <laughs> jarring. Yeah, the green screen so CGI in Once Upon a Time is is so rough. It's and it's, it's so rough. It's so jarring compared to the gorgeous location shoots because the enchanted forest outside, gorgeous. Uh, the CG is it's real bad guys and And they have like i don't i don't know what the budget was or anything like this but i mean we're living in game of thrones era where it's like throw some dragon coin at them man like (laughs) just please give them give them a bigger budget for the the effects they they would have been better off honestly with just like a screen background at that point because yeah it looks so bad and it's like it's really jarring because like we went from like that beautiful opening scene that we just discussed that's just it's gorgeous and then what is even happening here what is happening with this bad cg and regina on her freaking treadmill to get to her plane it's so bad it's so bad and on top of it she gets this bonkers ass evil bassoon music love that music every time it happens i'm like i don't know why we need to it's take such it a punchline it's a really punchline the bum 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 it's, it's the evil equivalent of a sad trombone it's got that kind of level of like weird out of place comedy. it reminds me of the if people are very familiar with like the romeo and juliet a classical music piece mm-hmm. it's uh the night guard <laughs> uh like dun 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 you know it's i almost feel like it's what the darth vader's theme was based on to be honest but that's kind of what it reminds me of yeah <laughs> the, I mean, the night guard it's it's like it's jarringly comedic i feel yeah like. i feel like it's i don't know it's the introduction to a villain in a slapstick movie is what this always makes me think like it's like here comes Lord Farquaad is yeah it's, yes, it's, it's, it's very caricature it's very yeah caricature. instead of like here's Regina and she's supposed to like not only be like feared but you're supposed to be like oh you know she's hot and she's terrifying and all that and I'm like but then she's got this bonkers ass bassoon music and it's like 
Oh, okay. Great. Great intro lady. (laughs) But even besides like the really, really awkward, um, really awkward um, CG, which like at the same time, you know, I get it. I guess it's an easy, cheap replacement to having this grand scenery. They don't have the budget other shows do, you know, being a 24 episode show. Lana still kind of killed it in this scene, even though she's on a conveyor belt. She's on a conveyor belt. She's a, it, she oh. she saves it. Like she I mean, if it. It, I think if it was in the hands of a lesser actress, right? Like it, like it just would have failed, and we probably would have never seen the show. But she's so convincing, and she works it that we just believe it. You yeah, know? she's so convincing. Like she just I don't know. She acts her pants off. She has to. She her tight tight leather pants. She oh. acts her tight tight leather pants off. <laughs> oh, we we are we are definitely going to talk about her signature look later oh, on. It's so good. Oh, so her, good. Like, costume silhouettes or chef's kiss so now we're cutting to the real world where a a young a young boy who we later learn is henry is reading a fairy tale book called aptly named once upon a time as he is on the bus alone to boston when he arrives he hails a cab and pays for it with a credit card (laughs) and let's so we do get like an angle where we see an illustration from this book and they are god-awful like they are god awful. They look like someone took a photo and they ran it through the cartoon filter in yeah. like the free oh, version yeah. of GIMP. Worse. They get mm-hmm. even worse. They're literally better in the pilot than they are in other episodes. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying Sad. a lot. There are some coming forward that are burned in my mind forever. I'm looking at you, Hatter. Oh, <laughs> oh no, there's some god, real the bad ones, ones when we get the to bad Hatter. Hatter ones. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. However, the design of the book itself, the outside of the book, I think is gorgeous. I love the design. I love the size of the book. I think it's really cute in like Henry's hands. Um, It's very uh, never ending story. Yeah, it's super charming, super charming. But those illustrations, man, uh, once again, I feel like it's a budget cut there. I wish they had, you know, had hired, you know, artists to actually do artwork for it because they're real, they're real bad. (laughs) Real bad. But like, okay, the illustrations aside, why is no one concerned about this tiny child on New York public transit? He is so small and everyone's just like, yeah, no, that's, that's totally well, he's, And uh, I'm not gonna uh, ask where you got that credit card either. That's fine, that's fine. Well, it's not New York, it's, it's Boston. So- Well, I'm which, so mad. No, 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 what I'm saying like kind of makes it worse because I think yeah, in Boston's New York- not safe. Yeah. Like I think Boston's in New York, they're safe. kind of desensitized to seeing children because that's actually a common sight. But I don't, I don't know if I don't, I doubt it is like down the Eastern seaboard. Like, shouldn't someone care? There's like, there's the woman who kind of sort of cares on the bus, but like her extent of it is just being all like, oh, you have a book kid. And that's like the end of it. And it's like, I think you're just being polite. Like, no, nah, it's his business. <laughs> no, care that he's alone. He's little. He was walking or riding that that transit with the confidence of someone going to a restaurant trying to use the bathroom. I don't care. He's tiny. You're that confident you use that bathroom. Like if I saw a kid that little on public transit, clearly with no one else, I'd be like, blink twice if you need help. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's so little and I'm so worried about him. And I'm like, are you not afraid he's going to get off this bus and just get shivved? Because I am. <laughs> I, I'm laughing, I guess, because like I've been taking public transit since I was like in my early teens. So I I, I understand your concern, but yeah. I, I took public transit like every day when I lived in San Francisco. 
and I thought I was going to get shanked every single day. And I'm not a tiny, tiny little boy who can't defend myself. I don't know. That's that's an awfully big book in his hands. I bet he could bash somebody's head in. <laughs> Those little noodle arms. I'm surprised he even could pick it up. Like the best he can hope is that he can kind of like eh, toss it at them and like that it'll hit and be enough of a distraction for him to scramble away because he's not going to be able to do anything if someone comes at him. He's so little. Well, I thankfully, think, thankfully I, we see him safe and sound in the next scene. I know, but, but I, I have concerns. I legitimately, I legitimately love him. <laughs> yes protect henry that is the subtitle protect, protect henry. henry at all costs we poor we, boy glad we all love henry because i, we I all love henry, henry. there's not too. a moment where i do not love henry no henry. and i know henry so many is... people don't love him and i'm like why <gasps> leave him alone he's those people were, were had their hearts stolen that's that's why right right i'm like you probably also don't like puppies what is wrong with you exactly <laughs> we cut to a very swanky restaurant and this uh knockout blonde comes walking in it's emma her it's her 20th birthday she's got no family or friends to spend it with except for her blind date ryan who she surprises when she lets out the fact that he embezzled money from his employer and abandoned his wife when she bailed him out uh-oh turns out she's a bail bondsman and bounty hunter so ryan makes a run for it but discovers that uh, she's booted his car. No, I love that classic like Emma power walk after him. Uh, oh yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't even break a sweat. She doesn't run. It's she's wonderful. Like, well, it's... she can't. Do you see the shoes she's wearing? <laughs> all do. she can do is menacingly stalk after him. Yeah. She's wearing six-inch stiletto heels. She looks so that's why she covered her ass with the boot. Yeah, this is great. The it's the it's Black Keys howling for you in the background, which has a nice like a little fairy tale element to the song. She's oh, it's hungry. great. It's a great scene and it's a great musical choice, but it does lead into what is my one of my recurring gripes about Once Upon a Time. They put them the in shoes. practical shoes. They put these poor girls in these enormous shoes and they always look so unhappy about it. And I'm just like, I mean, you you girls look so hot in those shoes and they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shoes. But every time you see a long shot of one of the Once Upon a Time girls in these seven inch heels, they're just like, end me. And I'm like, <laughs> poor, poor thing. So when Emma suggests that Ryan should give what money he has to his family, because he brought Tony to buy her, he asks her what she knows, like, what do you know about family? So, of course, Emma knocks him out and says, nothing. She then goes home and lights a cupcake with a solitary candle for her birthday. I love the candle scene. I think it's very sweet and lonely. I, I really love Emma. Um, I've rewatched, you know, the first season a couple times. Um, and I, I like Emma more and more. I was a little ambivalent the first time, but she really became one of my absolute favorite characters on the show. She's so grumpy and, and interesting. And she like has, I don't know, she's, she's great. But I love this like little lonely shot of her looking at that little like wishing star on her birthday cupcake and little music that plays. Oof, such a good a little moment. I love it. So the doorbell rings right after Emma does blow out her candle and there's Henry at her doorstep. She has no idea who he is but Henry knows her by name. He introduces himself and says that he is her son. Henry forces his way in and explains that 10 years ago, she gave a baby up for adoption, which of course she confirms, and he is said baby. Emma asks him to give her a minute and retreats to the bathroom. When she calms down and comes out, Henry asks her to come home with him back to Maine. When she threatens to call the police, Henry says that he'll claim that she kidnapped him. Yeah. <laughs> fucking power move. I love this kid. I mean, it, it <laughs> is, but also, <laughs> <ouch>. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. 
Emma, Emma says, Emma says she's got a superpower that she can tell when people are lying and she's can tell that Henry is definitely bluffing. So she starts to make the call, but Henry pleads with her, imploring her to, to take him back home to Storybrooke, Maine. Reluctantly, Emma agrees. I will never forgive him for drinking that juice out of that bottle. No. It's like a giant naked juice. And those are expensive, Henry. Those Very are expensive. expensive. Emma spent her hard-earned money on that. And you just put all this backwash in it, Henry. Like you've known, like you've known Emma for like <laughs> a minute and a half. And you're just all like, I'm gonna just let myself in your kitchen and drink straight out of your containers because you're my mom. That cool, right? And it's like Regina white, white male failed. privilege white male privilege Regina clearly failed at parenting if you think this is acceptable <laughs> <laughs> so okay something that about about this series drives me absolutely bananas and that is the Boston to Storybrooke distance so I had figured that uh, Storybrooke is located roughly where the real seaside town of Kenbunkport is Bless or Kent yeah thank you (laughs) making it about like an hour and 45 minutes from boston and that's like with toll roads but in a in an episode that we will cover they mentioned like four hours and i'm like yeah there's no point in maine like you have to be almost at the canadian border to be four hours from boston because you're going because these are both like seaside towns so you're just going up the um i think it's the 295 and yeah you can avoid the toll roads and that will of course like add add time to your route but it it's still like a it's it's not it's not as long as they keep making it out to be and yeah. plus like the the frequency from boston to storybrooke and that they treat it like it's like the main hub city like that's closest to them that would automatically then disqualify it for being over two hours so I'm just going to say I'm putting it out there and I will bitch about it in the future. <laughs> yeah, I think that's valid. And I think really the only, I feel like the only leg they could possibly have to stand on to like justify why they're like, no, no, it's totally that far away is if they're basically taking the, it's a weird magic city and it works off of like Tortuga rules. Mm-hmm. So it's not like located anywhere where it should be and can only be found by someone looking for it. So sure, it's four hours away. Like if they're going with that, then I can give them that. But otherwise- yeah, it's like you have to trek to it because it's kind of like hidden away. Yeah, like, it's hidden it's away. You got to go through magical borders. You got to like, you know, go over the river and through the woods and all that stuff. Then like maybe- Sure, I'll- but they never establish that. So no, they super don't. So I don't yeah. know if they- just like that's that's just called lazy writing so back in the enchanted forest a very visibly pregnant snow white contemplates the queen's threat prince charming tells her that it was only words but snow white warns that he has no idea what she's capable of when prince charming asks her what he can do to reassure her snow white asks to talk to a prisoner who can see the future the prince hesitates but snow white insists that he can assure that their child will be safe reluctantly the prince agrees this is a moment where I hesitate to bring it up. It's almost spoilery, right? But there's like some tiny wimey funky shit going yeah. on right now. And the fact that like we're seeing Snow in her wedding outfit. Yeah, I do. I do have concerns. Butterflies Questions? and all. But like, this is like very a... clearly in the future now you and i know how 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 much further into the future this actually is yeah mm-hmm. but even so she was not a very visibly pregnant bride no because when you see her, her 
when you see their wedding like not even 10 minutes ago she's like a spelt little thing in this so like either either there's like a freak torchwood pregnancy situation going on here where she just inflated immediately or you expect me to believe this woman who's now a queen and has more money than god can't afford any other dress than her wedding dress for the entirety of her pregnancy like and that it magically royalty. expanded yeah to accommodate her uh, yeah like her belly. i mean i guess i could give the benefit of the doubt that there maybe was enough fabric there for that if we're giving it that mm -hmm. but then you're still expecting me to have the benefit of the doubt that royalty owns one single dress when right. we see Regina in a different outfit every five minutes. Right. And, and I mean, and I'm going to forgive it because it is the pilot. pilot and so yeah. it's, it is meant to be seen as a template with like these very quick and dirty scenes to explain to the audience. And of course the network, how our characters got where they are. So I'm forgiving it for the, for the pilot, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of pilot forgiveness, like in that exact scene, because like Snow oh, yeah. goes, she poisoned an apple just because I was prettier than her. Anyone who's watched further than knows that that is not the case at all. And Snow knows that, but because we're in the pilot, these like backstory things are not established yet. The audience knows the story of Snow White. And so they know, you know, who's the fairest of them all. So that's, they made that, that simple connection there, but like, that doesn't actually what happens that's probably not something snow would have actually said you know if this episode was written in context with the rest of the season but it's the pilot it wasn't it's even like honestly even without like having seen on to know the real reason regina has a grudge it also feels weirdly out of character for snow white to even say that like yeah yes, i don't know it feels like a really catty throwaway for someone who's like the majority of her character is built around her like innate goodness and her to just be like i don't know she hates me because i'm prettier than her is like it's, yeah. yeah it's very it's it very, feels out of character out of, it's a little jarring i mean like, she can i know she can and and will like develop a little bit of snark you know mm -hmm. like when it regards to regina but like yeah like at this point but this is just vanity yeah, that's yeah. but but right. It's it's snark with usually like deeper meaning and stuff. Yeah, it's still like not it's not her, vanity. Yeah, most of her snark later on, you're like, that's justifiable. This woman has put you through a lot, and you you should read her the riot act. Yeah, like every time, like spoiler, every time she stands up to Regina, I'm like, yes, because <laughs> you should. She ruined your life. Yeah, but this is just like I don't know. It's like just such like a vapid like. I don't know. She tried to kill me because I'm pretty, and it's like that's not okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's a little, it's awkward. Overall, yeah. overall, mm -hmm. we could lose the scene and we'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. They just needed like to have that conversation to go see the prisoner. Yeah, <laughs> which I don't know. They could have made shorter or like just made it like them having the conversation as they're going to see the prisoner and left this scene out entirely. Exactly. And just have like a two second of them walking and her being like, "No, no, we really need to go see him." And Charm be like, "I still don't think we should." And her being like, "Hush, honey," and oh, like, have really. that be it. Yeah. <laughs> so back in the land without magic. As Henry and Emma drive to Maine, Henry's asking to stop for snacks, but she's like, hey man, this isn't a road trip. <laughs> he starts reading from his storybook of fairy tales and insists that they're all true. Emma, of course, contradicts him because, you know, so Emma contradicts him and <laughs> Henry dares her, dares her to tell, uh, to use her superpower to see if he's telling the truth. She does, but then she points out that just because someone believes something doesn't make it real. 
Henry says that is what makes things real and that she's going to save all of them. But no pressure. No pressure. So in the Enchanted Forest, the jailer takes Snow White and Prince Charming to see Rumpelstiltskin, uh, warning them not to reveal their names. When they arrive at the cell, Rumpelstiltskin knows immediately who they are, even though their hoods are covering their faces. He says that he can reassure them, but it will cost them something in return. Prince Charming refuses, but Snow White insists and asks what he wants. His price for his foresight, his seersight, is the name of as the name of their unborn child. And Snow White immediately agrees. He tells them that they will all soon be imprisoned and time will stop and imprisoned somewhere horrible where everything they love will be ripped away from them. When Snow White asks him what they can do to stop it, Rumpelstiltskin says her child is the only hope and that they should get the child to safety. On the child's 28th birthday, it will find them and the final battle will begin. Snow White and Prince Charming walk away and Rumpelstiltskin demands the name of the child, saying it's a girl. Prince Charming says it's a boy. Rumpelstiltskin says that Snow White knows the truth and she turns to tell the prisoner that the child's name is Emma. So this is a huge scene for future contradictions, but again, for the template method, it works just fine. I won't begrudge a pilot for inconsistencies. No excuses going forward, of course, but this one gets a free pass. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of times pilots put up things that don't. Yeah, yeah right. Don't different. don't hit back. Right, sure. Even yeah. have different names, things like that. So at least or, we don't have anything as crazy as that in this one. Or so, like, you know, you're Star Trek and you just recast people after the pilot and you're like, that's the same character. Yep. No, that's the same one. <laughs> totally. No. Same one. So my main man has just entered the show. And I have to say, I love Pilot Rumble's makeup the best. It's the perfect blend of creepy, filthy lizard wizard who is just sexy enough to make one question their sexual proclivities. Um, Snaps to Snow White for ignoring her husband and just getting shit done. And also, fun fact, this was Robert Carlyle's very first scene that he filmed, and he genuinely scared (laughs) Jennifer Godwin or Goodwin. Well, I mean, like climbing up on the rails and shaking them and screaming. Yeah, like when he lunges like kind of at her and stuff like that is that is actually her jumping back and gasping. I don't blame her. If a man I just met was like rattling bars and stuff. I too would be worried. I I would, I would be like, no, (laughs) how bad do I need this job? No. Uh, my notes for the scene was literally just Jennifer Goodwin is so cute. But, but you're not like, wrong. She's so cute. And her like ear, I don't know, I don't know, like her ears are, are so Oh no, cute. she, she looks actually, like an elf princess in that scene. Yeah, she she's does. the number one reason I actually wanted to start watching this show because I thought she was super cute. Mm-hmm. And I actually hadn't really seen any of her projects before. The only thing I'd ever seen her before in was the He's Just Not Into You movie. And the only thing I took away from that movie is, who is that girl? She is so cute. And uh, well, the only other thing to take away from that movie was that men were garbage. So I think men are garbage because <laughs> yeah. every kind of movie is just the most awful thing ever. Yeah, but like she was definitely like the calling point to me to the show, and I just adore watching her on screen. I think she's great. One and probably Carlisle's amazing too. And yeah. one of the things I actually want to touch on that Shell said is about the pilot makeup because it's really interesting to me because the makeup goes backwards. Like yes. Rumpelstiltskin's makeup in the pilot is very good but then when you see him in episode two it's bad it's bad they went backwards and i don't know if they originally had a different makeup person and then lost them 
but the pilot makeup is could, so much better. That could very reason. I think it's so much better in the pilot. Um, not usually they don't have like a solid crew on pirates so unless they had like specifically wanted a makeup person i don't think it would be the same they should have fought for that makeup person is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah i i'm that's something to do I'll, i can do a little research for that because that that is interesting i th- his his makeup in particular throughout the entire show the rumble makeup it it, it goes back and forth because i think it, it looks excellent in price of gold Sometimes um, it's really it, flawless and it, then other and, times it's like, did you have to get ready in 10 minutes? Yeah, it really <laughs> is kind of like, oh God, who who did this? Like who sneezed? Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, it's it's so inconsistent because sometimes his makeup, like in the pilot, is real, real good. And then other times it's I don't know, it's like it's like someone did it for him in a dark room and went, it's gonna have to be good enough, and then just shows yeah. him on the set. Yeah. So Emma and Henry arrive at arrive in Storybrook. Uh, he refuses to give her an address, and Emma pulls over in frustration. <laughs> she notices that the town clock is frozen at eight fifteen. That is a nod, of course, to Lost. And Henry explains that the evil queen sent everyone there and trapped them frozen in time. When Emma asks why they don't leave, Henry warns that bad things happen when they try. A man, Archie, comes over, and Henry greets him grudgingly. He tells Emma that Henry is the mayor's son and gives Emma the address. When Henry claims that he was on a field trip, Archie tells him not to lie because it means giving in to the dark side, which is just a, a just a tad dramatic. A little overreacting. A little overreacting. Uh, yeah, how else are you going to get through to children? I guess so. <laughs> As Archie leaves, Henry explains that Archie is actually Jiminy Cricket, but he doesn't know it and that none of the townspeople actually remember who they are. So I actually really love Archie. Um, he's a terrible therapist, which we'll yeah, he is. more next episode. He should not be a therapist. Um, but no. I just really am fond of the actor, literally just because he's Caden from Mass Effect. And so I get really yeah. excited when he's in scenes. Um, and also because Pongo the dog's usually there. So I'm always like, oh, it's Archie. And then I'm like, Archie, you actually have a lot of problems, but you're Caden. And I, I like it when you're here. I like listening to you talk. That's pretty much my entire affection for Archie also is that I'm like, oh, you're my Canadian space boyfriend from Mass Effect. Like, and because of that, I have a haze of affection when Archie's there that I feel like I shouldn't have. I like Archie. I like him. Because, yeah. But I definitely like, it's definitely a very like, ah, pink view when Archie comes on because I associate him with my love interest from my favorite video game. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I think that that actor- he voices. Yeah, R- Raphael Sparge? I don't know how to say his last name. I have no idea how to say his last name. And I've heard it a million times in all the Mass Effect things I've watched. Well, I like him. I think he's uh, interesting. I think besides (laughs) first season, after first season, they underutilize him. I would like to see more. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But he should not be a therapist. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) But he has a good dog. He has a good dog. He has a good doggo. His heart's in the right place. His heart's in the right place. Always. So now we're back into the past in the Enchanted Forest. Prince Charming meets with the council and insists that they need to fight. Jiminy Cricket warns that fighting mean, means giving in to one's dark side. It, sh- it is noteworthy here that he is a actual cricket in this scene. <laughs> Snow White says that there is nothing they can do because the future is ordained, but Prince Charming says that if Rumpelstiltskin says the truth, then their child will be their savior. The Blue Fairy arrives 
with a squad of soldiers bearing a mystic tree and says that the wood can be used to ward off any curse. She asks Geppetto if he can make a wardrobe to hide someone in. He agrees, but the blue fairy warns that the tree can only protect one. Ugh, this bitch. The fucking blue fairy has entered the game, my friends. Someone hand me a beer. In the worst costume. Okay, it always confused me. Like it's her jellyfish. Like, it's a jellyfish, but why is it a jellyfish? How does that relate to her character at all? I don't know, but I, in fact, in my notes I took as we were watching this show, wrote, "It's the unholy bastard child of a jellyfish in a Fredericks of Hollywood corset," and I stand by that statement. <laughs> I also will put a note that the only other note I have for this scene is motherfucking Pinocchio, who yeah, I so, hate, so, and I yes. can't get into that until later. And it's so, so, so Geppetto was there, right? And then he's like, yeah, don't worry, me and my boy can turn this, you know, stump into a wardrobe. And he tossles the hair of a very adorable looking little boy, a child, Lynn, a child. It's misleading. The child is very cute. It's misleading. You don't know what he's capable of yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. I'll be fooled by this child's face. You (laughs) don't know what he will become. (laughs) Um, uh, Is this this the point where I'm not allowed to say, well, he is a ginger, so therefore he doesn't have a soul? Oh, no. Look away from this day walker. (laughs) I'm going to like lose audience. No, no, no. Can't say that. It's okay, audience. We don't mean that. Our our best friend who is their officiant is is our favorite ginger too. And and she's she's used to this too. She's she's used to it as well. She'd be the first one to tell you about the gingers. Um... (laughs) uh charming's red outfit in this scene i do not like really i i I, there's something about the construction that bothers me it's a little too boxy on him it's similar to um yeah i don't know i like when they have him in browns better but the red is important to him like everybody has a color palette and red is important for him yeah and i just i i will fully admit that i just have a haze whenever it's the enchanted forest version because we'll get into david later yeah. but um, i have a haze whenever it's enchanted forest charming. prince charming like he enters the scene and it's just like it's like an original star trek when kirk sees a pretty woman everything just is like soft focus <laughs> and like quiet music because i'm just like prince charming's here and he's so wonderful and i love him so much so like i don't even really remember having feelings about what he was wearing because i just was so happy to see him so back in storybrook henry begs emma not to take him back to the mayor explaining that his adopted mother is evil and only pretends to love him which god damn henry that is harsh uh the mayor regina meals aka the evil queen very obviously runs out and embraces him, but he insists that he's found his real mom now, and he runs inside in a huff. Uh, Sheriff Graham is with her, and while he goes inside to check on Henry, Regina invites Emma in for a glass of apple cider. She explains that she didn't know who Henry's parents were and that the records of the birth parents were sealed. Emma assures Regina that she has nothing to worry about and that the father doesn't even know that Henry exists. The mayor explains that she's strict with Henry because she wants him to excel in life. When Emma comments on Henry's claims about fairy tale characters, Regina is visibly shaken and claims ignorance on the topic. She asks Emma to leave and the bail bonds woman goes out to her car. 
As she turns back, she sees Henry in his bedroom window watching her. Emma drives out of town, but realizes that Henry left his book on the car seat. She looks up and sees a wolf in the middle of the road ahead of her. Swerving to avoid it, she hits the town marker and is knocked out unconscious. The book opens to the pages of Geppetto at work in the enchanted forest building the wardrobe. It gets under my skin that there is subtext here that blood bonds are superior to adoption. Yes. I, I acknowledge yeah. that this is because they're fairy tale characters living outside of our rules, but it does rub me the wrong way. And I cannot help but wonder what any adopted child watching this show must have felt. Yeah. Um, oh, no, exactly. Like, this it, is it one really, of my most hated tropes. I hate yeah. on TV shows whenever, whenever there's a big reveal, like there is another TV show that I'm not going to name that we have been watching recently. Oh, it made me so angry. It's so bad. The TV show is not bad. The reveal is bad. But whenever there's a big reveal that it's like X is not your true parent and this person was your parent all along, the fact that this person who raised you this whole time and took care of you suddenly becomes meaningless to you. Yeah, I you hate learn it. that you're not blood related to them anymore. Just and, and my ears. what annoys me and what annoys me most is that Horowitz and Kitsis are they're Gen Xers. They grew up on 80s media and in, eight, and in the 80s, like there was such a hard, hard campaign for interracial mixed fam, like blended families. Like adoption mm. was pushed everywhere. You had Webster, you had Punky Brewster, you had Different Strokes. Like you had all of like these blended families in media. So it wasn't like that wasn't a trope that they grew up with, you know? Yeah. So I feel like there's just, like, there was a better way to go about this. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely, and I agree with what you're saying, that they're pushing it because it's like, you know, they're supposed to be the real, like, she is the evil queen type thing. But, like, whenever they do this trope in a show where it's, like, all the years this person put into you, and the fact that, like, right up until you found out this person was not biologically related to you, you absolutely loved them. Yep. Yeah. But the second, the second it's like, wait, you're not really my mom. They turn on a dime and are just all like, you're a horrible person. We're not really family. It's like. And, and it's not like Regina ever hid the fact either that, you know, Henry was adopted. Henry grew up knowing he was adopted. That wasn't. Yeah. So and up until. Talk of, a, of a lie, you know. Right. I mean, you know, and I mean, we'll get into it later. But yeah, like, I just feel Regina as the evil queen like I can separate, you know, like, but mm -hmm. Regina as the mother, like she did put on, it's not like Henry was handed off to a nanny, you no. know, no, and, she and wanted to raise that kid. She and did. raised that kid. Yeah. Like, and that's actually is what I find upsetting. Cause like, I get that you're angry, Henry, but like she, why did you look at this situation and see like, yes, this, you have a different woman who is your biological mother, but she gave you up and this woman wants you, legitimately wanted to take care of you, went out of her way to make you her child and raise you. Like, mm -hmm. like I love you, Henry, but like, that's like really ungrateful and terrible, yeah. honestly. And like, right, and, and with Henry, like, I don't, I don't fault him the character because he's no. a 10 year old, but he's I do fault, uh, yeah, I fault the um. But the, some adults writers. wrote this show. Yeah. But some adults, exactly, but but adults wrote this show adults and they should know show. Like this 10 year old yeah. did not write this show. Exactly. Especially yeah. since I think, um, well, I'll talk a little bit more a little bit later. I think they do the reverse very well of the forgiveness for giving up for adoption. Um, yes. But, yes. Yeah, I don't 
I, I don't love how they handle and, and it's such a common trope to be like I hate you now you lied to me because it's like and, and him saying and like him like accusing her of pretending to love him I mean yeah. Jesus that is that is harsh that's harsh because I have never in this whole like watching this show ever doubted that Regina loved Henry Mm-mm. no because no. through the entirety of the show like anytime henry's in danger regardless of if it's going to contradict regina's like grand scheme she drops everything and is like oh no henry and makes that her top priority to make sure that he's safe so like for everything else with regina's character that's questionable and let's face it there are a lot of things that are questionable she genuinely loves henry yeah one of the main themes i think of this whole show is just henry has two moms yeah yes henry has two moms yes so now that we got that out of the way, thank goodness. We did. Honestly, my <laughs> only other note in here was just the like <laughs> Regina's <laughs> open campaign against literacy because she's so angry that her son's reading a book. <laughs> Not his comic books because he has a shit ton yes. of comic books. I, she's like, what, what's wrong with your comic books? Why son? can't you read these things? Why do you have a real solid book? Like, because I mean, you're looking at it from Emma's point of view and it seems like the rage is just like, who taught my son to read? <laughs> It's just like, Regina, what is your open campaign against literacy? What is going on here? I was like, uh-oh, I'm worried. Maybe she is evil. She doesn't want him to read. That's what that's what tipped Emma off. She's all <laughs> so angry that he knows how to read. This is not a healthy environment for a child. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta save keeping him young and dumb. Books. <laughs> books, the real evil. <laughs> you evil woman, let him read. <laughs> okay, so... In the Enchanted Forest, Geppetto and his son Pinocchio are hard at (laughs) work. Okay, wait, hold on. Geppetto and his son Pinocchio pause for Lynn. Uh. (laughs) Are are hard at work carving the enchanted tree into a wardrobe. Nice nod to Narnia, by the way. In their chamber, Snow White insists that she can't leave Prince Charming, but he insists that she has to be safe from the curse. As they embrace, Snow White goes into labor because of course she does. On the battlements, the dwarves stand guard and see the vast evil cloud approaching. They sound the alarm that the curse is upon them. Um, I thought this was interesting as I noticed that the curse is not purple in the pilot. I noticed that too. In the rest of the show, the curses are color coded to whose magic it is. Um, Yeah, and this curse is, is, is purple. I mean, I guess it could have just been because it's the pilot they hadn't figured out. Yeah, it's another thing that's super that they were going to do that um, because it's so. Separate. But it is, but it is interesting because you're right. Because every other time you see the curse after the pilot, it is coded to being purple for Regina's magic. Mm-hmm. And and we'll talk at the end of this episode the color scheme that people have. Like pe- the oh, yeah. characters, characters definitely have a color scheme. Oh yeah, for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So back in the land without magic, Emma wakes up and finds herself in a cell. 
Leroy, actually Grumpy, the dwarf, is locked up in the cell next to her. And the handyman, Marco, also Geppetto, tells him not to give Emma any grief. Marco comments that he doesn't have any children. No, he does, and it is kind of out of left field when he does. Okay, okay. Marco, Marco co- okay, good. Okay, it is. Yeah, Marco kind of comments goes, out kind of out of left field that he doesn't have any children. We're setting something up for because yeah, so we're, we're oh, so word got around that Emma is Henry's biological mother, mm-hmm. and Marco makes a comment that he doesn't have any children. He wasn't blessed that way. Uh, Sheriff Graham releases Leroy and suggests that Emma was drunk on the mayor's cider. <laughs> Regina arrives and is surprised to see that Emma is still there and tells Graham that Henry has run away again. Graham is a fashion icon. He is. That leather jacket, sweater vest, and tie is wonderful. I love it. Oh, it, no. My my uh, my my partner at the time emulated it. He loved that combo. So, because he loved, he loved the way that this guy looked. No, it's, I mean, to be fair, like, my low note for this scene is just stupid, handsome Graham. It is, it's stupid, handsome Graham. But that, because that's what I think. So dashing. That's what I think whenever Graham's in a scene, it's just like Homer Simpson voice. It's stupid, it's stupid, sexy Flanders, but it's stupid, handsome Graham. Stupid, handsome Graham. (laughs) It's like you're wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. (laughs) Nothing at all. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) Okay, I gotta get my giggles under control. Emma offers to help and they take her to Henry's bedroom. She checks the computer and confirms that he made a credit card payment to a birth mother tracking site using a credit card belonging to Mary Margaret Blanchard, his teacher. Mary Margaret, actually Snow White, is teaching a riveting lesson on birdhouse construction. (laughs) I can't even (laughs) say with a straight face. (laughs) At the school where Regina and Emma arrive. The teacher insists that she knew nothing about Henry's action and realizes that just now that her credit card was stolen. So cold, Henry, so cold. <laughs> she is a nice teacher. She's like kind of your only friend. She gave you a book I know. You, and you steal her credit she card. She teaches you like the deep and meaningful like construction like, of I art. give him hope. And then he's like, I hope to have your credit card. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'll show you hope, lady. I'm going to steal your money. It's I'm like, going to make all my dreams come true. <laughs> Again, again, I ask who raised you, but I know. <laughs> again, white male privilege. And, yeah. and just the fact also that us three know Henry and from whom he came from and from <laughs> whom he was raised. Yeah. Or so yeah. uh, Henry has a lot of like certain genetic factors coursing through his veins right now. Oh, <laughs> so, for sure. <laughs> so Henry is, the fact that Henry isn't even like, the fan is as sweet as he is, is, is already like a surprise. So. Oh yeah, the fact that like, he's not already like in and out of juvie at 11. <laughs> deeply right. surprising Com- to combing me. Combing his slicked back hair with a, uh-huh. with a blade, with a switchblade. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, and also, by the way, I just want to say I have, in fact, worked at a uh, private elementary school, very much like Storybook Elementary, where they they do teach this, this kind of riveting Bird extracurricular house construction lessons. Yes. <laughs> uh, angry, Regina realizes that Mary Margaret gave Henry the fairy tale book, and the teacher defends herself, saying that he's special and, more importantly, a lonely child. The mayor storms off and Emma talks to Mary Margaret privately, who says that Henry needed the book so that he could have hope of a happy ending. 
Emma realizes that the teacher knows where Henry is, and Mary Margaret suggests that she checks Henry's castle. We cut back to the Enchanted Forest. As Snow White is in labor, Prince Charming assures her that the wardrobe is almost finished. Geppetto enters and says that it's finished. <laughs> but, but it's not finished. It's, it's finished. finished. <laughs> but Doc the Dwarf warns that they can't move Snow White because it's too close to the baby's delivery. Do you know how long that women have been giving birth, Doc? It's okay, okay? They used to squat in the field. Like, have you read The Good Earth? <laughs> In the forest, the evil queen and her, how do I say this word? Is it retinue? Retinue. Retinue? retinue? I think so. Okay. I've always said a retinue and no one has corrected me yet. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> I'll say it with confidence and no one will correct me. How about that? <laughs> say it yeah. like, yeah, say it like you say truly like you're riding a bus. There you go. <laughs> you're, you're, using, you're using the bathroom and a restroom for which you have not paid for anything. Exactly. In the forest, the evil queen and her retinue of black knights ride towards the castle. Snow White gives birth to her daughter and remembers that the wardrobe will only work for one person. The prince realizes that their plan has failed and hears the invading force attacking the castle. Snow White tells him to take the baby to the wardrobe and hopes that she'll come back for them. She says goodbye to her daughter, Emma, and the prince takes her. He fights his way past two of the Black Knights but is wounded in the process. Finally, he gets to the wardrobe and places Emma inside. As he seals the door, more knights arrive and mortally wound him. They open the wardrobe doors, but discover that the baby is already gone. With, with his last ounce of consciousness, the prince sees that his daughter escaped safely. Charming looks so dashing when he's all sad so and fighting for his dashing. life. Yes. And like, I'm not going to lie, like the smile of relief, seeing like the magic. Josh <laughs> Dallas knows how to work that beautiful face. He does. It. Oh, he emotes so well. And I'm, I am 100% sure that that is why they cast him. Oh, yeah. And I am... I'm very about hot dad charming with a sword. Yes. I'm very about it. Very good. It's very good. But, <laughs> but, but, but we need to talk about how goddamn stupid Regina's guard's helmets are. Oh, it looks I know. like Play Doh. It looks like Play Doh squished through one of what those. What is yeah, even like pipe, on them? Pipe, pipe cleaners? I don't know what's on them, but they've got like this weird oh, just. The, the stuff one, one thing that I think we're going to be complaining about over and over again is that the head of wardrobe, Eduardo Castro, he's good at his job, but he has too much syndrome where he makes a wonderful outfit and then he goes one step over the line of a frill or something. Yeah. And this was like, and he very much needed to go to the Coco Chanel rule of like getting all dressed up and then taking off one accessory. Like this- pretty this confusing. Yeah, and I'm like, can they even see? Like, No, I don't think they can. I think they're just opaque buckets with streamers. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really jarring because the rest of this whole scene, you see Snow and you see Charming and like, they look fantastic. Yeah, they look like wonderful. their wardrobe looks great. And then he gets out of the hallway and there's these fucking jokers. And it's like, what? What is this? What was even the concept or the thinking here? Were you just like, I don't know, make some deranged sea urchins. That seems like a good villain. I don't understand it. It's I don't either. They're so ugly. And every time it shows up in the show, it like... I feel my teeth clench. That's how yeah. angry this design makes me. It just make, it, it makes them fairly in a, like ineffectual because otherwise they would be yeah. pretty scary looking. 
I think I saw a serious scene. You're I think I, I like oh, that's very think, traumatizing. You don't know if Charmin's gonna make it. No, I, I actually think that uh that I read an article when the show first, like when the pilot was making the media circuit, mm-hmm. and someone called them low rent ring rates. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. It's not. They look like like their head, but like they're like toothbrushes, kind of like floppy toothbrushes. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna scrub, scrub, scrub your your cavities. God, something. I feel like Elisa also was pretty on point with her description of them looking like the weird like Play-Doh hair growth. Yes, squishes. It just yeah, they just kind of squeeze out through the holes in the top of the helmet, and it's like, what is this? Why do we do this? This is such a serious, dramatic scene, and I feel like it's really undercut by how freaking dopey the costume designs are yeah. for Regina's entire guard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Josh Dallas got me tearing up here. He's acting his pants off over here. He's acting his pants off and then we got these fool's helmets. And like he's gotta because he's gotta carry the scene when the only other thing he has to act against are these. <laughs> this loops. fucking like gritty's enchanted forest like, you know, evil self. <laughs> like, ugh, it like, looks like, um, do you remember the Fry Guys from oh, McDonald's? Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, they're it's it's like they're goth the fry, fry guys. guys. He's goth fighting fry goth guys. Fry Guys, and it's just like it's such a dramatic scene, and it takes you out of the moment because they're just so stupid. Yes. So back in Storybrooke, Emma tracks Henry to a playground castle structure and returns his book to him. He admits that he hoped when he brought Emma here, things would change and the final battle would begin. Just bloodthirsty isn't he (laughs) henry figures that she's pushing him away because she feels guilty and then he reassures her though that he understands that emma gave him a way to give him his best chance emma insists that she's a real person and not a savior but agrees that yes she did give him up so that he would have his best chance because she was at the time in no position to take care of him henry asks her to stay for one week to prove that he's not crazy saying that his life sucks with Regina. Emma tells him that his life is nothing compared to hers and her parents abandoned her by the side of a freeway and that her foster family returned her when they had their own biological child and Emma was only three at the time. Henry insists that she went through the wardrobe and appeared on the freeway because that's where the wardrobe came out of, but that her real parents tried to save her from the curse trying to give her her best chance, just like Emma had tried to give him. Emma clearly does not believe him. Different to the the scene before we were talking about where we don't like how they handle the adoption. In this, I do like how they handle handle adoption from this side um, because I really like that Henry does not punish Emma for having given him up, that he actually understands like you wanted to give me my best chance. Um, I think that's actually a really refreshing narrative. I think a lot of other shows have told the story by being like why didn't you want me why did you give me up he is understanding that like sometimes people are in positions where you know there's there's a kid and they are not they are not right to to raise that child at that time um and so I I like how they handle that part there yes I do agree with you on that but here's (laughs) one thing I have to say we all know that I love Henry right but this is the shittiest person Like, he basically just shows up as like, happy birthday, I'm your kid. You gotta save every Disney character ever. Like, true. what, how, (laughs) this is the worst birthday. It's a lot to put on one lady. That's the worst. It's 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 a lot of pressure. 
I think it honestly speaks a lot to Emma's character that she doesn't just go done and just like leave after that because I would honestly <laughs> I don't care how cute Henry is I'd be like I, d- I don't I don't need this <laughs> I'm not saving every Disney character this is a terrible birthday go back to your mom who loves you I'm going home to my cupcake <laughs> Oh, she didn't even get to eat that cupcake. She didn't even get to eat her cupcake. This is the worst birthday. You have to buy new juice because Henry got backwash in it. Yes. What a <laughs> terrible birthday. He ruins her juice. He ups her. She doesn't get to eat her cupcake. And now she has to save every single Disney character that's ever been created. That's a and lot. Like, God, She's not even 30. She's what? 28. I know. She must be so tired. At 28, so tired. I could not have saved every Disney character ever. 28 I couldn't save myself yeah yeah (laughs) so back in the enchanted forest Snow White valiantly as she had literally just given birth limps to the nursery to find Prince Charming mortally wounded and unconscious on the floor she goes to him and pleads with him to come for him to come back to her she kisses him but he does not awaken Snow trying true love's kiss on Charming not working it really gets me guys i'm a weak sap it makes my heart hurt no i feel you like i i've been with this version for like five minutes at this point and i already like was so attached to snow and charming and like i will give the show for as many gripes as i have about they immediately are like no but snow and charming are wonderful and you're like oh my god they are wonderful and so like even though i get super mad at this show often i well always come back to how much i love them I mean, it is like a testimony to the fact that they were acting their butts off and they made it so convincing. They did. That the actors fell in love and got married and now have children. It's like my favorite. It's so cute. I mean, I hate to get sappy on Maine here, but like, it's one of my favorite facts about Once Upon a Time. No, mine too. Is that it's like, their love was so true that it permeated into real life. Yeah, absolutely. And I love it so much. Right. Because can you imagine like their chemistry just suddenly like not working? I mean, it would have, it would have really tarnished the show and it never, like it it stays. Well, I shouldn't. Okay. never mind. I shouldn't even say that. I don't think that's a spoiler. I think think we can say that like one of the things that remains consistent throughout. You always believe they're in love. You always believe they love each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because at some point they legitimately do. And that's, that's amazing. It, it is, and I, I love that. So, like, I got gripes, but I will give once upon a time that. They can have mm-hmm. that for free. So the evil queen enters and says that in a few minutes, Snow White will remember nothing and that it's her personal happy ending. Her knights tell her that the child is gone and Snow White smiles, saying that the evil queen will lose and good will always win. The evil queen laughs as the roof shatters and a vast vortex sucks everything up and says that they're going somewhere absolutely horrible where on- the only happy ending will be hers. I kind of feel bad for the good state of Maine. Don't be shit on Maine, <laughs> Regina. <laughs> it isn't just the home of primordial murder clowns and lobster rolls, okay? No, Maine, because Stephen King Maine has written has more a books lot going King. on. Stephen King's written many more books about Maine. Most of Stephen King's books where something really bad happens, it ties into Maine somehow. So I don't know. Maybe she has a point. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know if she like heard about the primordial murder clown and decided we're going there. That sounds 
that's well, I mean if you were like, if you hobby. had and you were like I'm gonna pick somewhere that everyone's gonna be really miserable then you'd be like yeah Maine clowns are just killing everybody there <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna be happy this, with that this, going on it, this entity from space and out <laughs> of space and time decided to make its home here <laughs> that's where we gotta go that's where we're gonna go if we it's good if it's good yep. enough for 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 creatures that are undefinable then it is good enough for yep. me the copy until i read the book uh, it just flew <laughs> through a portal landed in regina and she was like this is great i love the history of this wild land named maine let's all go there and have a terrible time yeah, she just like Jack Skellington voice yelled inspired and decided that's where they were going. Exactly. So back in Maine, <laughs> speaking of Maine, Emma brings Henry Sorry, back Maine. to back to Regina once again. The mayor thanks her again and notes that Henry <laughs> seems to like Emma. We see a kind of twitch in her cheek about that. Emma admits that when she blew out the candle on her birthday cupcake, she made a wish that she wouldn't be alone on her birthday. Regina says that Emma shouldn't try to come back in Henry's life because she's the one who raised the boy and he's her son now. She says that Emma has no legal right to Henry because she insisted on a closed adoption and tells her to leave town or she will destroy her. As Regina turns to go, Emma asks if she loves Henry. Regina just kind of looks at her bewildered as any mother would and says, of course she does and closes the door and then goes to see Henry in his room. She takes this fairy tale book with her and goes into a mirror, studying it intently. I gotta say, Regina's got a point. She changed the diapers, she dealt with the tantrums, she marked every growth spurt, she earned the Mother's Day gifts. Emma's appearance does not have the right to invalidate 10 years of active motherhood that Regina has put in. Yes, Regina is evil. We're not saying she isn't. But she is right. She put in the time and she Emma wiped, did. She wiped that butt. She, she did, and that's God bless her, because yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Without the benefit of a partner. Exactly. On her own. On her own. She and he's a good kid. Like she did a decent job besides the fact that he, you know, drinks drinks that juice and steals credit cards. He otherwise <laughs> turned out pretty well. So Overall, she did something she's right. Mother. She does some terrible things, but she she is a good she is a decent mother and she mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, spoiler alert, gets better at it. So A. The other scene with uh, Regina stealing the book and like the Regina plots music that bump 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 comes Regina's back. bonkers ass music. Oh, yeah, so good. It's so ridiculous, and I it's love slapstick. it. Slapstick. So, so we cut to another scene where Mary Margaret is volunteering at the local Storybrook Hospital, and she goes to see a male patient, a uh, John Doe, who's lying in a comatose state. She places flowers at his bedside and leaves, and then we pan to see the man's face. And lo and behold, it is Prince Charming. My heart is dumb. And like, I love that. And the little Snow Charming theme coming back in. Your, uh, your heart's not dumb. It's very... Love them. It's very pure. It's a very, very yeah, it's very sweet. It's a very sweet little foreshadowing of like, look how things bleed into the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Well, right. And, and we didn't know if, if Prince Charming had yeah, been not, killed. Yeah. Like, we really didn't know. Um, we didn't. And it's honestly clever if you think about it because it does it it calls back to the very beginning of the show and they're like ever present i'll always find you theme because it's all like look here they are and they don't even know who they are but they always find yeah, each other now him, and now he's the one who's lying you know yeah. prone in a in a, in a death-like state right yeah, exactly, exactly. it makes you excited about like the show coming mm -hmm. um, like what's going to happen next yeah 
So Henry, we see another shot of Henry looking out his window towards the town clock. Emma goes into a very clearly disused bed and breakfast where an elderly woman is arguing with her granddaughter. They're both very much surprised when Emma wants to take a room. They, so they eagerly book her. As Emma gives her name for the register, we hear a male voice repeat her name, Emma. We turn around and the camera goes and there, there is a man, a very dapperly dressed man, I should say. <laughs> and we know immediately that this is Rumpelstiltskin uh, and his cursed storybook form. He comments on her name and how lovely it is. He then takes rent money from Granny and wishes Emma a lovely stay and then leaves. Granny and, and Ruby kind of grumble until he is very much gone and out of earshot. And Emma's like, who's he? What's his deal? And they say that that's Mr. Gold and he owns this place. She says, what, the B&B? &B? said, nope, the town. And then they give her the key to her room. So it's worth noting here that Rumpelstiltskin was not immune to the curse itself, but however, he does say Emma's name in a very telling way. Is he waking up? Hmm. I, I love Emma's face in the scene being like, yes. yes. Man saying my name like this. Jennifer <laughs> Morrison's face, like um, the way she did it, like was just like, yes, hello. <laughs> oh, so good. Like, like I have given that face to so many men Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you like in public they're always strangers usually on like public transit or something but it's it's always men trying to interject a conversation usually between women in a women's space oh yeah it's like the quintessential bitch do I know you face <laughs> yes like and she's you know I mean she's a tough looking woman you know so it's like it's like yeah you know, like, you in what army, pal? Yeah, yeah exactly. And we, it is also worth. Did we see his cane in this? Scene? I think so. I think he has his cane in this one. Yeah. He, oh, I mean, he does have the cane. I just don't. I know think. If we see I think it. so. I think you see it. I so think he's he's it, yeah. So. so this is like you know a middle aged man who's shorter than Jennifer Morrison. He's my mm -hmm. height. He's five eight, and he's leaning on a cane. So it's Rumpelstiltskin, but it's not Rumpelstiltskin, but you know, but we don't, we're like, okay, what happened to him? You know? So like, like, oh God, very much clearly Emma, you know, like in a almost familiar way. And so I feel like it's also, because then by juxtaposition, here's Emma and she's clearly like in incredible shape and looks like she could break him over her knee. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so she's just like, yeah. Yeah, you want to go? <laughs> yeah, pal. Yeah. You want to go? Cause I'll win. Yeah, yeah she she actually comes like, very much like on the defense, like kind of challenging, and he's just like sweet. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> just like have a nice day, and she's just like, do you want to go? And and then I think she's got like this adrenaline, like mm -hmm. huh, like like she's totally expecting to hands. punch him. Yeah, <laughs> and and like 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 almost as if like she had like raised her fist, like what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I gotta say is one of the things i love about emma swan yeah, is at yes. any moment she is willing to throw hands Absolutely. with anyone and i think that's fantastic and and the and the very like i mean and, and as media as just in a couple of episodes personally love the rumpelstilts or the rumpelstiltskin mr gold emma dynamic 
like feed off of each other very well they feed off each other so well and it's and i should i should go ahead and say to anyone out there listening it is never creepy it is never like well like i mean in as in as so much as it is never suggestive no Um, it's just a very good like antagonist to the hero relationship yeah it is but then like but but because she's a reluctant hero they also have common ground absolutely Mm -hmm. so like there's there's like there's a very like um scrappiness about both of them Mm -hmm. that i think they come to understand yeah i think yeah they they both both have each other i feel like they're both both have a mutual yeah i had to fight for everything i have i think they yeah they're both very scrappy people and i think they acknowledge that in each other and Mm -hmm. admire that about one another is it what it's called game and myers game yeah game and myers game that's right oh that's 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 such oh that's totally true so okay as henry watches the clock the hands move for the very first time meaning that emma swan has started the battle and time is no longer suspended in Storybrook. End credits. So this is a solid beginning for a pilot. It sets up a lot of questions and possibilities. Everyone acts well in it, and while the ever-present good wins, hope prevails, becomes old for me as as a as a villain's person. It's it's not going to deter me from continuing. You know, it's still like it's still a very intriguing show. I I can't say for certain that if someone like Rumpelstiltskin didn't exist in this show that I, I would have been as drawn into it as, as I am, but I feel like they needed a character like him, not just Regina. You know what I'm saying? Like, like cause it, you could have, I guess, technically just had Regina, but I think it would have been short-lived and boring if it was just that kind of like one, one flavor of villain. Like yeah. they needed, they needed more to it. So I, I don't know, I'm a slut for villains, <laughs> especially the slithery quasi-human creepers. Call me old fashioned. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, really re-watching this. It's just the Once Upon a Time pilot, is, it's pretty solid. Um, I think it does a really good job of world building. I think the characters are interesting. I think you get a good introduction. Uh, specifically, I think the three female leads really shine in it. So like Emma, Snow, and Regina, like you feel like you're like, okay, I've, I've got a good base for these characters. I want to see where their story goes. And I uh, just, I'm, I'm talked to kept talking about it, but I just, I really like the score in Once Upon a Time. I think it really elevates the emotions. It makes scenes work that otherwise are a little stunted. Um, if sometimes because of plot devices, sometimes because of that, you know, awful uh, CG backgrounds that they sometimes have to work on, just they work in like a basically virtual space um, through a lot of these episodes. Uh, overall, I think the cast like acts their pants off and it's just overall, it's a good time. I, it genuinely makes you excited about the show. Um, I like it. I mean, I, I mostly agree about the music, but I, I am going to have to stick with my Regina's theme music. I do not. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my major gripes. Regina's theme music. My two sticking points were that and the guards. But other than that, it is a very solid pilot episode. Like, obviously it has its problems, but it does a really good at setting up the world and what you're going to see for the rest of the show. And for my own bias, 
obviously it sets up snow and charming really well which is what i care about and it gives you a really good glimpse into them and how much they love each other and i am a huge stupid sap so that's very important to me let's talk about the really important stuff the costumes oh boy <laughs> i i love regina's skirted jackets over the leather breeches look and her Hell big yeah. old fuck me boots and stuff uh, it's a very good introduction to her character when she shows up in that and the high ponytail gives me the madonna blonde ambition tour vibes like oh, she sure. she a bad bitch like Love she it. a bad bitch she's gonna fuck you up so like there's no question who the villain is you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she leans hard into it and i'm and i'm here for it and her colors are uh black silver like any sort of silver gray um and purple yeah. so. love that regina purple it's mm -hmm. so so nice and i don't think you see much of it in the pilot but but moving forward yeah because uh, i think maybe they haven't established purple as her color yet in this in this pilot like like even the curse itself isn't purple um but episode two onwards you'll see that very strong uh i think it's like a royal purple uh they associate with her so I know, Lynn, you really like a Snow White's wedding dress. Oh my God, I would sell my kidney for Snow White's wedding dress. I have actively lusted after that thing since I watched the first episode live. You know, the, the butterflies in the hair is actually really interesting. I don't, I don't know if Castro knew this. I, I, when I'm saying Castro, I should, I should specify that I am talking about Eduardo Castro, the costume. <laughs> Head, not, and not, not Fidel. Not, not, not our comrade. So, um, not comrade Castro. So, um, so butterflies, you know, represent like re can represent reincarnation or just like rebirth in general. So the fact that like you know Snow was dead and then comes or death like and then comes back, I feel the butterflies are like a nice yeah, touch. If like if he did that on purpose, that's actually extremely clever. Yeah, because otherwise I, I wouldn't understand like why she wouldn't have leaned hard into like a wintry, more much more of a wintry look, you know? I, like I assume, snowflakes and such, but- um, For sure, but I, I assumed they leaned more in with feathers and flowers and butterflies less to like lead into her name and more that Snow White's a very foresty princess. Like yes. in every version of the story, there's a huge chunk of her life after she escapes from the queen where she just- lives in the forest and befriends all the animals and is a very naturey princess. So my assumption was that was playing into that. Yeah. With having like all the flowers in her hair and having all like the skirt like come out into feathers and all the butterflies was just like really playing into the like that she is pretty much like the quintessential like friend of the animals nature princess yeah this is this is a costume department that loves its feathers and i will be complaining about most of them I, on snow on and this outfit looks amazing this is beautiful because like she just i don't know she looks like she looks like this effervescent little bird and i love it yeah that's really lovely 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 so Mr. Gold like is always seen in like these three piece suits and stuff, but the the gingham shirt in this episode and in the pilot gets shat on constantly. <laughs> They're like, what the fuck? And it is, it is, it is, it is like for me, I'm like, I don't care. But I but comparatively, it is very jarring because yeah, the wardrobe only yeah. gets better. Yeah, it does um, seem like an odd choice for someone who's yeah. so 
put together. Right? Yeah, to then be like, and then I got my picnic shirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it looks like. It does. It does. Um, and and Rumpelstiltskin in the cell, we don't get like too good of a look at him. It is um, just kind of like a like it is what he wears, like what we will come to know as his signature Rumpelstiltskin outfit. It's just kind of like stripped down a little bit because he's been there for a little while. Not like I, I have a very rough timeline. Like I know how much time passes and stuff. He's, he's been there for like a couple months, maybe. Yeah. So, um, so he's like, you know, taking off his jacket and shit and, you know, Cause that gets go- old when you've been in jail for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, 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 you know, he's just filthy. He's just filth covered in mm-hmm. filth and that's totally fine. He looks great. I, 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 I tumble in the hay with him. I would tumble in the hay with him in that filthy prison more than I would tumble with Mr. Gold in this episode. So. <laughs> wow, that's that's a statement. That I yeah, just, I don't care, and I stand by it. Like I said, slut for um, villains, especially the creepy, slithery kind. Mm. This is a safe space. We know this, and we love you. Know this, and we love you. I'm glad. I'm glad this is a safe space. Thank you for giving this to me, ladies. All right. So on the next episode of once upon a time. Regina sees Emma as a possible threat to her relationship with Henry and does everything in her power to force Emma into permanently leaving Storybrooke. Meanwhile, in the past, the chilling circumstances of how the evil queen released her curse upon the enchanted forest are revealed along with the price that she paid in order to do so. Dun, 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 dun. Please stop. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. Uh, The moral of this episode is naked juice is expensive. Don't be drinking that shit out of the big bottle. You can find us on social media at anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. We're at Twitter at once upon rewatch. And on Tumblr, we're once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. And a special thank you for the master of royalty free music, uh, Kevin McLeod. Our intro uh, tune is Frost Waltz. And our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. <laughs> <laughs>